0: OU's only got two more road games left this season at Texas Tech this Saturday and at West Virginia a couple of days after Thanksgiving. In fact, the rest of the Sooners schedule sets up pretty nicely for OU at Tech, home against Kansas by week, home against Oklahoma State, at West Virginia, and then home against Baylor. 5-0 5-0 and to close out the season is well within reach. And I'll say it right now, Oklahoma will most certainly run the table if that TCU game turns out to be the Sooners' baseline level of play for the rest of the year. That Oklahoma team we saw on Saturday finishes the regular season 8-2. and And considering the Sooners should get some pretty good players back soon, uh, you know, this whole suspension thing is, is so stupid at this point. I tend to think they're going to play this week, but in true Lincoln-Riley fashion, he's made sure that it's not as cut and dry as we all think it is. So hopefully Perkins, Bridges, and Stevenson are back. Plus, the defense is molding and gelling and playing some new players in the secondary. As that unit continues to improve, which it should, the Sooners are set up for a pretty fun final half of the season. Injuries, unseen COVID problems, and or... More suspension issues pending, of course. That's not to say I think this OU team has a chance to become a squad good enough to compete with the Alabamas and the Clemsons and the Ohio States of the world if somehow Oklahoma was presented with a chance to play against those teams. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that I think the Sooners team doesn't have any pressure on them. Like Oklahoma teams of the last three years who were trying to make the playoff had pressure on them. 2017, 2018, 2019. Back then, every single game was full of pressure. You lose, you're out of the playoff. But that's all gone now in 2020. You know, it's similar to 2016. Oklahoma started one and two. That was devastating, I know. Especially because the hopes for 2016 were so high. Coming off a playoff appearance in 2015, and Baker Mayfield was going into his second season as the starter. That OU team then won 10 straight games to close the season, including a 16-point win over Auburn in the Sugar Bowl. With all the pressure of the playoff gone after that 1-2 and two start, the Sooners played free and easy for two-plus months. And all that success led to what turned out to be a special 2017 season. In January, when we look back at the 2020 Oklahoma football season, it could be very similar to what we saw back in 2016. I hope that's exactly what we're thinking. And there's going to be one major difference for this program as it heads into the next season. Hope on defense. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. Second and five play action this time. Rattler rolling right, sets up, looks deep, lets it fly for Mims down the sideline. He caught it! It's a touchdown, Marvin Mims! Wow! Toby Rowland on the call of Marvin Mims' second touchdown grab of the day last Saturday in Fort Worth. Mims finished with four grabs for 132 yards, plus those two scores, earning himself Big 12 Co-Offensive Player of the Week and Newcomer of the Week as Oklahoma beat TCU 33-14. Hello, everybody. Once again, I am Lee Benson, and we're going to get rolling right off the bat here on this episode of West of Everest. So without any further ado, let me welcome in Grant, standing by in Minnesota. Hello, Grant. We've got the TCU game to talk about and then a look ahead to Texas Tech.
1: Fun times for sure. I'm looking forward to that. Before we jump into that, um, real quickly, I do want to offer a correction from the last show. Kind of near the end of the show when we were talking about how amazing LSU's offense was last year and... I I brought up Terrace Marshall as one of their weapons, and I said that he led the SEC in receiving. That is not correct, and I just wanted to correct that. He is currently fourth in the SEC in receiving. He does average 120 yards a game, but he leads the SEC in receiving touchdowns. Receiving touchdowns, not receiving yards. He has nine touchdowns in four games. That's a lot. So I I, I just kind of wanted to offer that correction there um when i think about it i do want to offer corrections i'm still i'm still debating whether or not i should come out and just completely retract everything i've said about deuce vaughn and kansas state but a small part of me is kind of holding out hope that they will suck at some point in time
0: (laughs) yeah man it's gonna be really tough for you to to regain that credibility after that one missing out on yards compared to touchdowns the deuce vaughn thing i don't i you go really hard to the hole sometimes on certain things. And we hadn't seen enough of him to really make a, a stark take. And yet you dove right in on him. I, I don't, he looks like Darren Sproles a lot of the time, which apparently you did not think that or still don't think that, but, uh, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe, maybe he will start to, uh, I don't know, play worse. Uh, I mean, but I guess it was just, time. yeah. I mean that
1: Arkansas state game, I, which has turned out to just be a complete blip. Um, I, you know, I don't know. In that Arkansas State game, it did not seem like they made any sort of effort to throw him the ball. They were just kind of putting him in the eye formation and letting him run. And my idea was, if they're just going to put that dude in the eye formation and let him run between the tackles, he will not be successful. And clearly, they've they've completely restructured their entire offense around him. Um, I, I think he's got like 350 yards rushing and receiving. Both. So, I mean, that's that's pretty impressive. And I, you know... I'm sure if he was in a Lincoln Riley offense, he could probably think of a lot of really fun things to do with him. But at the same time, I I don't know if his if his value against really good teams is anything really outside of a of you know of a, of a dangerous weapon in the passing game.
0: Well, if he played for Matt Nagy, the head coach of the Chicago, uh, Chicago Bears, he certainly would be a back they'd put in the I formation and run him between the tackles, even though he only would gain about two yards per. nobody cares about this sorry I'm that's a stupid rant on uh the Bears um yeah I don't know I mean he's he's a good player so uh, good Kansas State's just so well coached and I don't the Arkansas State game is the dumbest maybe the dumbest result of this season so far it makes it makes no sense that they lost that game knowing what we know now but um
1: SP plus hates Kansas State that they like I think Kansas State per SP plus is like 60th in the country um they sp plus thinks they are a very fortunate and lucky football team and they are they are they got really lucky against OU
0: yeah you're a big sp plus guy I I mean it's I, I use that whenever I you know every once in a while I don't really put a whole lot of stock into it though uh it doesn't really take into account good coaching and game situations really and for whatever reason Kansas State I mean how much of the how much of their you know sp plus well, I know that it, it takes into account everything, right? It takes into account uh, opponents, strength of schedule, it take, or it, like it, it, yeah. I
1: mean, yeah. When, when you they're doing rankings and stuff like that, but SP Plus, it just it it takes into account every single play in the game.
0: Yeah, I wonder how the much that, that Arkansas gave, State no. game has skewed it, or if probably it, if a lot because Arkansas because
1: Arkansas State is bad. So I don't know. I mean, like it's it makes sense. I mean, if Kansas State played Alabama tomorrow, they'd lose by fifty. There, no doubt in my mind
0: what would that line be you think 28 34 and a half 34 and a half be bigger than what it was when they played OU probably that was what 27 yeah I think it was
1: 27 and a half or 28 and a half
0: yeah Uh, all right so I I talked about it briefly in the opening take I'll let you comment uh Lincoln Riley did not give us anything updated on the suspension stuff this week in fact he made it seem like there's still a lot more to it and it's not as simple as we think it is so even now, when we all believe that this is the time when uh, the six games should be up and they should all be eligible to play, Stevenson, Perkins, Bridges, it would seem, as we record this on Wednesday evening, it, there's still not 100% confirmation that they're going to be back this week. It's the, it's the storyline that just will not go away. It's so boring, and I hate it at this point. But at the same time, like these are really important players. So I tend to think, like I said in the opening take, I tend to think that They'll be back. I know that there's some weird Ronnie Perkins stuff from a couple of weeks ago whenever he was at the Iowa State game, but couldn't play, but then why didn't he come back for Texas? And you know, I guess maybe, maybe his status is still still or different than it was. But uh, when it comes to Bridges and Stevenson, we haven't heard anything else about them ever since the original suspension, so I don't know why they wouldn't be re- eligible to play on Saturday. So I'll open the floor to and let, you know, in case you have any more thoughts on this story. I think you explain it, or
1: you describe it perfectly. it's It's a really boring story. I, I just I, I do desperately want it to go away. Either play or not. like I mean it's it's it, it's basically that. But you know, I mean, if put a gun to my head right now, I think they're gonna play. I, I think they're gonna play on Saturday, and I'm gonna do this podcast under that assumption.
0: All right, well, I've got an idea to start the show or at the beginning of the show to hopefully appease some of our most loyal listeners. You know, so far this year in 2020, we've been lazy with the three-word reviews. So to rectify that, I want to begin the show here with the three-word reviews from Oklahoma's win over TCU. We ask for you to leave us three-word reviews on Twitter. I am at Lee Benson News 9, Grant is at Grant Benson 25 and on the West of Everest Facebook page. And you all do a nice job of sending those out to us and the last few games, we haven't gotten to them. We've talked a lot, and then we've punted on three-word reviews. So we're going to do them at the start of the show now. And I think that these reviews can provide Grant and I with some discussion topics from that game that maybe we otherwise would not have hit on. So hopefully it kind of kills two birds with one stone. So let's begin with some three-word reviews from the Facebook page, the West of Everest Facebook page. We begin with Justin, who provides us with a lot of three-word reviews. He goes with a relaxing win, Winfrey getting better, Pledger really improving. No offensive turnovers. Rambo no-show. 15-yard cushion with a bunch of exclamation and question marks. Seeing future potential. And that is all from Justin. So a lot of good ones there. Uh, let's see. How should we hit this grant? What is your favorite of Justin's three-word reviews?
1: I'm all about Perry and Winfrey, man. I Yeah, he's fun to watch. Um, I'm not... I, I I think I said to you maybe during the game or sometime this week I said I said he's better than Gallimore and I'm I'm not quite ready to go there yet I suppose just in terms of consistency but I'm pretty darn sure he's more
0: talented than Neville Gallimore that guy is a man yeah he's getting a lot better he's improved he uh, just the entire defensive line and when we're gonna get to the game we're gonna talk about just how steady that group has been. I believe they go about seven deep right now that are getting legitimate playing time, and there really isn't any drop-off, it would seem, from the substitutions, which is it's, an, it's incredible. A lot of credit goes to Calvin Thibodeau and Jamar Kane for getting that unit, um, man, up to speed, especially in this weird year where they haven't had a lot of time to work with them. There's no spring ball, so it's been incredible what the defensive line has been able to accomplish we- so far. We, we, we talked in the
1: preseason and we talked last spring as well before we kind of went on hiatus how just you really need the recruiting classes to kind of hit there, especially on the defensive line. Guys who had been redshirted, guys you hadn't seen a whole lot of, there was going to be a lot of pressure on them because we knew that the status of Ronnie Perkins was, you know, was up in the air. At that time, we had no idea that Jalen Redmond wasn't going to play this season. And so, I mean, guys like Jordan Kelly, Corey Roberson, Marcus Stripling, uh, those guys, guys that, You know, were kind of big time recruits, guys that when you know they sign on the dotted line, they were probably expected to contribute, and it looks like they've taken that step. I mean, those guys are good, and then not even to mention, you know, the JUCO guys like Winfrey, and I mean, my my love affair with Josh Ellison is growing every single game. I love that guy. Um, It's just, yeah, it's 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 really surprising, and can I mean, can you imagine? ronnie perkins and jalen redmond being added to this defensive line like i mean that's that's almost not even fair it kind of it, wow it feels yeah like. i mean that would be i i think you add you add redmond and uh and perkins to what we've already seen oh i forgot isaiah thomas the best player on the defensive line so far this season um add those guys to the mix and i mean i 2021 that's that's a national championship caliber defensive line is it not
0: I think it is. I I think it absolutely is. And what we see, what we always have seen, it seems like, from these defensive lines, from great programs like Clemson and Alabama, obviously there's incredible talent and NFL talent, but they also have depth. And it's no secret that depth is one of the main keys because guys can only play a certain amount of snaps before they get tired and they're not as effective. But, I mean, Alice Grinch is, is running these guys on and off the field and again, like I said, there are seven guys that are getting legitimate snaps right now. And you add Ronnie Perkins, who hopefully he will be back Saturday. That's eight guys. And then if Jalen Redmond comes back and uh, I mean, Perkins, uh, I, I'm pretty sure Perkins would declare for the NFL after this year. I don't know why he wouldn't. Uh, he's, a, he's a guy that we have drafted probably decently high. But still, you get, you know, if, if Redmond decides to come back for next year add him, that's that's eight right there. Then who knows? Maybe they have other players that they could develop. As I mean, well. and who so, knows? Like,
1: yeah, at that time, you got you know, Reggie Grimes with the year of seasoning, you know, the guys that they brought in, the guys that they are bringing in in this recruiting class as well, you start to kind of see the pieces coming together a little bit. And like, I kind of always figured that when it happened, it would happen quickly and that we would be surprised that things came together. And I think that's kind of what we're starting to see signs of that on the defense, seeing it for sure on the defensive line. And I think we, I mean, we may be three or four games away from that linebacker group really coming together as well.
0: Yeah, that'd be great. And we're slowly seeing some of the younger guys get more snaps in the secondary as well. Another part of uh, Justin's three-word reviews I do want to kind of comment on briefly, he says 15-yard cushion, and I'm assuming he's referencing end-of-second-quarter strategy by Oklahoma's defense with six seconds on the clock and TCU with the football at the OU 44. So that is a... 50, that's a what a 61-yard field goal. So obviously TCU's not kicking that. So they were going to run a play to try to get closer. Oklahoma decided to play a 15 or more yards off the line of scrimmage to prevent a Hail Mary attempt. Given up that short pass play, TCU completed it for seven yards, called timeout, and then Oklahoma ended up uh, blocking the field goal attempt. But then there was a penalty on Buki for some sort of substitution uh, penalty, some sort of substitution thing. I, I and then uh, ultimately the the it ended up being a 49-yard attempt, and it was it was still missed. It was wide right. So that was bizarre strategy, I guess. Alex Grinch and Lincoln Riley's thought process was, well, we're gonna bank on this college kicker missing this 54-yard whatever field goal, so we're gonna give up the the cushion and just and see if they can complete a pass and call a timeout. And ultimately, they were correct, even though it ended up becoming a 49-yard attempt. But I know Greg McElroy on the broadcast was saying that they should play aggressive defense and prevent them from getting those quick yards, and then you know put some safeties back to make sure they don't give a big a big play over the top. Because even if they do complete a pass down the field, they keep them out of the end zone. The clock will probably run out anyways. And I thought that would probably be a better strategy. it's a small thing in the grand scheme of things because it ended up working out for Oklahoma, but I thought that was weird that Oklahoma did that. Grant, did you? I thought it was weird,
1: but I I actually will defend that. And if their logic was, yeah, we're just going to bank on this college kicker missing a really long field goal, that's good strategy. That's always a good bet. Always a good bet. Um, And especially with, you know, how this team has had problems with coverage busts, and I know it really hasn't happened really since the Kansas State game, why take a chance there? I, I think that's a defensible position. the 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 most likely outcome there
0: is the kicker missing the field goal. That's by far the most likely outcome. Okay, yeah, I figured you'd be on that, and and I get it. I, and and Grant, I'm just I'm theorizing that's why they they gave up the the yards because they didn't want to risk giving up a big play touchdown. But uh, I just yeah, i yeah, out. But I I don't know. I have more confidence. I think Grinch has a lot of confidence in his defense. I I, I have confidence that the guys could not give up a, a big play and, and prevent a touchdown because again they only had six seconds if they do catch the ball and are running it's the clock's going to probably run out so you know as long you know, provided they tackle them before the end zone <laughs> so anyways I, I just wanted to mention that because justin had that as part of his three-word review and so thought that might be a, an interesting back and forth more three-word reviews keenan has let's see he has one Perfect minus penalties. Interesting. Another uh, Buki with a couple penalties in that game. I know that, uh, by the way, real quick, Woody Washington got flagged for a PI. They didn't show a replay of it on the broadcast. I'm not so sure that was a good call. I think uh, unless it was obvious field level by the referees that washington was coming in contact with the receiver there because again they didn't show a replay so it was hard to tell from the broadcast angle to me it looked like yeah he didn't turn his head but you can face guard in college and as long as you're not coming into contact with the receiver before the ball gets there you can face guard get your arms up there and it looked like he got his arms up there and knocked the ball away when it got there so that that might have been a bad call on woody washington but again no replay so maybe it was a good call i don't know if you have any thoughts or care about that at all
1: i guess yeah i mean my general thought is yeah i mean if if he didn't make contact with the guy at all clearly a terrible call I'm kind of always of the of the belief that if you're going to face guard someone you're begging for someone to throw a flag I that's just that's I, true. a lot of the times I mean it's, it's just it's just not smart to face guard I, I just, it's it's just it's not a good coverage technique
0: well it's it's not that I, I don't think that's the you know what they go into the play thinking it just you know if you get beat or you start to trail you realize I got to catch up and you can't turn and I think that's what was happening there. And it just it stinks because it happened on a third down. It was third and nine. It would have gotten him off the field. It, it bailed him out and uh, extended a drive, a drive in which uh, it looks like I'm looking at the drive chart. Oklahoma still got TCU off the field anyway, so it didn't result in any points. So that's good. Let's see. Trey says Petty Purple Patterson, and he's referencing how Gary Patterson was calling timeouts uh late in the game. And I will be honest, I I have not done any uh any research into figuring out. I'm sure Patterson was asked about that. I don't, have you looked like I don't know why he did that. I mean, it does come off as as petty. And Lincoln Riley was asked about it on Monday and he was um I mean, he he said, "Hey, that's um yeah, I I'm worried about people getting hurt there, you know, if." And he was he he said the right things without just saying, "Yeah, I thought that was dumb." Uh, because, obviously, he, he said, I have lots of respect for Gary Patterson. That's his team over there. He can, he, can do, he can do whatever he wants. But did you get any reasoning at all? Did you see any reason why? Did, did Patterson address that? Or did I know. I, I, totally I, didn't,
1: I didn't see any reasoning. I, kinda, I, I moved on from it after the end of the game. But in the moment, I got irrationally hot about that. That, yeah. that kind of pissed me off. Um, because the very first thing that, that ran through my, my head is, I mean, there's still going to be three or four plays in this game, and, including a kickoff, and someone's going to get freaking hurt now. I mean, that, that's, that was my thought process. Um, I just, yeah, I, I didn't like it. There's, there is no rationale that Gary Patterson could, could offer there. That would, that, would not, that would make me like what he did there. None at all. There's, there is nothing. Like, your team can't get better in that moment. The three offensive plays that they ran, you're not going to get better. It's against a shell defense. It's just stupid,
0: is what it was. All right, I'm looking at the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. I'll give them a plug. Drew Davison's column. Or report after the game And I'm looking to see Looks like there's a quote from Gary Patterson It says, asked about his late game thought process Using the timeouts Patterson said, quote Offensively, we need work We had a chance to get Zach Evans in the ball game. Of course, a thing popped up And now I can't see Okay, we had a chance to get Zach Evans in the ball game And see him and guys throwing down the field And do some stuff We're not going to have the give up attitude here That's not going to happen Yeah. Yeah, that's not very compelling. That's not a very compelling uh, reasoning there.
1: Losing uh yeah, lost been losing a lot of respect for Gary Patterson lately. I mean, you can that stuff's fine when you're putting good products on the field, but he's he's not lately. So, no. That's that, no, stuff, that stuff, like I mean, what if somebody's season would have ended on an injury there? Like, I mean, would, would he feel any sort of uh, you know, blame for that? I would hope so. Mm, yeah. I mean, the game was over. The game was over. And like oh you the, the thing is like when when he called a timeout, my thought was oh you needs to come out and score now. 100% they need to come out and score. Um I'm kind of disappointed that they didn't do that, but because I mean, hey, if he's going to call timeout, he's he still wants to play, then all right, let's
0: play. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of I, I kind of like that obviously Riley decided to take the high road on it, but um you know, I mean, they kicked the field goal or whatever. So I guess technically they did score, but um, yeah, I'm sure you mean go for a touchdown.
1: Well, he they had two timeouts. He called his first timeout on third down, and that's when Riley was. That's when the the camera showed Riley going. What are you doing? Like you you. can see, like right when it happens, like he's he gives kind of the what? Like the shoulder shrug. (laughs)
0: Like wait, are you sure? (laughs) Why'd the clock stop again? So okay, so yeah, that's uh, not great for Gary Patterson there. Uh, Caleb with his three word review too many field goals not quite three words but we'll say uh, we'll say field goals is one word yeah you know and speaking of that I was going to touch on this obviously you want more touchdowns fewer field goals however four or five field goals all extra points made Gabe Burkich bounced back after that Texas game he did miss one it was a long 54 yarder it was you know it was a yard short I mean, heck, a half a yard short. Almost made it. It was right on line. So uh, that, that's a positive, though, overall, is that Gabe Burkich didn't have any sort of weird, like, he pulled a bunch of field goals and missed a bunch. At least he came out and, and hit all the ones he was supposed to. And um he did miss one, but it was a 54-yarder, which, yeah, you'd like for him to make that, especially considering how good we think he is, and especially how good R- Lincoln Riley thinks he is. And it was, a, it was a clear, nice day in Fort Worth. But... um Overall, though, a, a, po- a positive Gabe Burkett's performance. Although I know Grant, you you don't want to see field goals, even though Gabe Burkett is good.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, anyone who's listened to this podcast the last four seasons knows my position on this fully. Yes, I hate field goals; they're terrible. The fact that they attempted five in the game to me is an abomination. Um, I I I, I jest slightly, but there was one sequence where the I mean, them having to settle for a field goal there was really disappointing. It actually came on their opening drive of the third quarter or after TCU punted the ball back to them. Um, They were moving the ball very smoothly down the field, throwing the ball. Uh, Rattler was in in rhythm. He had hit Stogner early on for like 12 yards over the middle on a really good throw. He hit Weiss Weiss twice on really good timing or uh, um, on uh, on nice timing routes. Um, They had the ball first and goal from the eight-yard line, and they ran it three consecutive times. That was that that was pretty disappointing.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at the play chart right now and the second down play was was uh, another zone read looking like keeper for Rattler. Who did that? He did that a lot in that game. That was the the one thing you can knock Rattler for. He kept the ball quite a bit and he never got any yards it seemed like. There
1: was something that they weren't on the same page about with those um I, I don't that's the first time that's really happened this season. But yeah, whenever yeah. whenever Rattler kept it, TCU was right there waiting for him. Um, so I don't yeah, know. He wasn't,
0: re- he wasn't reading that very well. He like, wasn't
1: reading it well. Um, also on that drive, uh, the second down, um, TJ Pleasure had a hole that you could drive a freaking truck through. And uh, he got caught from behind. That was that
0: one. Um, well, second down was when Rattler kept it. So I, I said so it first was down he, he's either first down or third down because first down he had no game. It might have been third down. Might have been the third down because I mean, obviously, a third and goal. TCU's probably not expecting them to run. It might have been the third down. He got four yards, but then he got yeah. He no
1: on third down they just handed it from. off to Pleasure and he gained four. I, I thought it was. I thought yeah, it went. Yeah. Thought it went first down. Rattler weird zone keeper. Second down. Uh, GT counter. Pleasure had massive. Well, it was the same play that
0: Major scored on and against Texas. Um, uh, yeah, Rat, Rattler was on second down. Okay, so the, I, I just had them mixed up then. Play, so. But yeah, I know. I do remember that play. that That was not. That was not great. But
1: yeah, I uh, guess I'm. You know, when you get inside the ten yard line and you're kicking a field goal,
0: uh, failed drive. Failed not drive. Not great. Not great. Yeah. yeah. Want to have a higher standard for sure. Glad right, they won. Neds. Glad
1: they won. Yeah. But that's. But that was a, that was a scenario where they could they could have separated as well. They would have been up by seventeen if they score there. And I know they put the game away on the next drive, basically. Uh,
0: but I mean. It had been nice to kind of light up the scoreboard a little more. Uh, Finally, Ned's got a couple three-word reviews from our Facebook page. Protected a lead. That's a good one because uh, it's simple, yet Oklahoma didn't allow a team to finally come back and make it close. Uh, And then finally, Marvin's the man. And might as well use this time to talk about Marvin Mims. A couple touchdowns. You heard him in the intro. I'll make this statement right now. After the first game of the year, I said a couple of things, one of which might turn out to be pretty smart, the other of which might turn out to be kind of dumb. I said that by the middle of the season when Ramondre Stevenson comes back and he's able to play, uh, it's probably going to end up being a one-two punch between Stevenson and Seth McGowan with TJ Pledger kind of filling in here left and right. That, at this point through five games, that looks like a bad take. Uh, McGowan, outside of the Missouri State game, has looked pretty suspect uh, he had a nice catch, obviously, against TCU, but as far as running the football against TCU, he, he did not look very good at all. So that that might be a pretty dumb statement uh, when all is said and done. However, I did say after that Missouri State game that there's a, a world in which Marvin Mims is the best receiver on this team by the end of the year or something like that, and I, I feel pretty good about that still five games in. Uh, Marvin Mims is, is I mean, it's, he's all, I guess he's all what we kind of hoped he would be, and he was was advertised as it's just now we're seeing it happen and there's some evidence to back it up publicly and it's exciting grant i i mean i'm
1: yeah like not not to um to go over Mims so like I, obviously I'm, I'm pumped about marvin Mims. the guy and he's a guy who hasn't even i mean once he gets into the weight room and puts on weight you can tell he's still a true freshman um but I, i'm just thinking and i know i don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves but man thinking ahead to 2021 and a, a core of Mims, weiss hazelwood bridges and Stogner kind of has me salivating a little bit um that 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 seems really formidable um and oh, Mims man. Mims is a really nice surprise i he, he's a guy that i thought would be um when i looked at his his high school tape i thought he'd be a big deal at ou um i i think right now he's he is the best receiver on the field i think that might change when bridges and hazelwood come back i think i that's i'm not operating on any sort of inside knowledge but i think those guys are probably the two best receivers in the program um i guess we'll see i don't know and we i mean we you can tell is, is starting to put it together as well so um gosh man mims is good oof I, See, I Mims don't... is
0: doing. Like, Mims is doing so far this year probably more than I expected. But he, this is kind of kind of what I expected or kind of thought would be a, a thing that Bridges could do last year. I thought Bridges would kind of be the freshman that would would make. I mean, not every single game, you know, seven eight catches, but would have the ability to to pop up here and there and make these big plays. And obviously, that didn't happen necessarily that, that way last season. Now we're seeing Mims coming in as a true freshman, and he's doing more. This year than any of the true freshman receivers last year did, and that even includes I think Jaden Hazelwood, who was the most prominent of all three. Oh, but for sure, be, for but sure. But to be fair to those guys, they they didn't have Spencer Rattler throwing to them. Uh, they they had a, a more limited player uh, throwing the football in, in Jalen Hurts. So it's it's not a it's not a one to one comparison, obviously. I just and yeah, and and
1: Mims. Uh, the thing I like maybe the most about Mims is that. You, I mean, you can see the ability and the athleticism dripping off of him, and he still looks like a true freshman physically. He looks like a guy who just stepped out of high school. And, I mean, an off season in, in the weight room put like 10 pounds of muscle on that guy.
0: Marvin Mims is a I guy looks, I could— I think he looks pretty solid. I think he, he could, looks pretty solidly built.
1: I, I think he could definitely be a little thicker. He's a guy who might, who might have the look— I, I think he's going to take another step physically when we see him next year— he has the look of a guy who could be a physical freak, because he—I mean—he is fast, he is very long, and he just kind of gallops smoothly. Um, and I mean, just just wait until you get him into a you know a weight training program in the off season. I'm—he's really good. I, I know a lot of people have made the Ryan Broyles comparison. That's a comparison I made when he was in high school, and I mean, it's at this point in time, it is—it's apt. It, It's—it's—he's right on. He's—he's he's great downfield. He pretty much catches everything in sight. He's a really good punt returner, um, but I, he might be more explosive
0: than Ryan Broyles. And he also had a really good catch. I believe it was a third down play. And I'll give credit to Keegan Renault for tweeting about this on Wednesday, the day we we're recording uh, that play where he went up and caught that high pass. I think it was a third down conversion. I mean, that wasn't an easy grab, and I mean, and he, he got brought held. that in. So, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, he got held too, and he still made the play. So even stuff like that. I mean, it's not like he's just a vertical threat. He he's still making contested catches to move the chains, and and he's he's doing it all. I mean, Dennis Simmons said in August that ever since he arrived on campus in the spring, he just he acted like he belongs. He seems like he belongs, and everything Dennis Simmons said that he had seen behind the scenes, we are now seeing out in, in public in the games and after the game. I mean, all the all his teammates, all his teammates love him, and and the main takeaway I had listening to TJ Pledger talk about him and uh, Spencer Rattler talk about him is that he's just a, uh, he's a, obviously he's a true freshman, but he's incredibly humble. He, he, everyone was saying like, Oh, you wouldn't even know that he, he scored two touchdowns. You wouldn't even know that he's having a really great season. He's just a really nice guy and he's humble and he works really hard. So, uh, you know, you always like to hear that stuff and you hope that it continues throughout players careers as they start to, you know, they start to see their press clippings more and they start to watch more tape on themselves and they realize that, hey, yeah, they're pretty darn good. You hope that that, that humble attitude doesn't go away, though, because that, that always leads you to work harder and continue to work hard to conti- continue to get better. If you start to think that you're really good and you stop working, then obviously that's whenever you start to plateau and you don't get any better and you start to just, uh, you know, you are, you are what you are and then people start to
1: catch up. It's also worth mentioning, Lee, that our 24-year-old sister and her friends think that Marvin Mims is the hottest player on the team.
0: <laughs> that Marvin Mims, he's so hot right now. They really, they really like him from a is physical that a reference face to, standpoint. <laughs> is that some sort of reference, though, to the rapper Mims and his hit single, what This a, Is
1: Why I'm Hot? That's a deep cut right there. That is a <laughs> deep cut. I love me some Mims, some, some late 90s yeah. Mims rap. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. I sure hope that, like, uh, in the stadium when he scores, they just start just blaring mims every single time. They don't, I'm it, sure, but it would be cool it, if they it did. Didn't,
0: it didn't happen in, uh, in the Missouri State game because he did score. Did he score twice in that game or just once? I, I think it was just once. I can't remember. But, uh, I think it was just uh, once. I, I, yeah, it's just we all forget about that game because we, we can't believe it even happened because that team was so bad they were playing. Uh, let's go over to Twitter for the Twitter three-word reviews. We got Lamont, all-around completeness. Benjamin on Twitter says, played four quarters. Warren on Twitter says, back on track. Kind of like that one. Kind of goes a little bit with um, my opening take because, again, I, th- I think these, this team, with the pressure off of, of making the playoff, I think they're going to they're gonna play better. Granted, I, I wish that they would continue to play better, and even with the pressure on them. But granted, in 2017, with all the pressure and, and that, that roster, they were pretty darn good that year. Todd's three-word review: Marvin Mims superstar. I like that one. Uh, Andrew says Rattler no turnovers. I mean, let's stop there. Let's let's talk a little bit about Spencer Rattler. We talked a little about the zone read stuff, but uh, did you? I, I think we talked about this before the podcast began. You really enjoyed the game plan offensively from this game, and specifically, it's because of what what Lincoln Riley wanted to do with Spencer Rattler in his arm. Correct? Yeah, I mean. They,
1: I mean, they came out and they just threw bombs, um, and I—that I, excites me. That's awesome. I love that. I love explosive plays and I love stretching defenses like that. And it's, I mean, add a little Chris Murray, add a little Ramondre Stevenson, and just, and uh oh, is all I have to say to that. Because, like, I mean, it's it, it's going to be it's going to be really difficult to defend. I, you know, clearly Lincoln Riley saw something on tape with TCU, and he just he just wanted to take shots, and it was there consistently the entire game i mean how many i mean i would say there was at least three that were there that rattler even missed on so um i i hope we see more of that later on i I just think i mean if if you put Ramondre stevens in there and i mean he's i'm telling you defenses are going to be terrified of that guy um chris murray i i only saw him in for two drives um i he looked really good Uh, He looks like he's almost certainly going to take, you know, someone's someone's job. So um, that's that's just my favorite type of offense. I I love the idea of of running the ball with explosive backs and a strong offensive line and just and just heaving it up and chucking bombs to your receivers. I mean, that's just that's that's really fun. And I think that's what's going to win him a national championship playing like
0: that. Well, you mentioned that Riley said you you, you think Riley might have seen something in TCU well I think he saw what we saw what we were telling people that we saw on the last podcast that TCU a team that loves to give up explosive plays I, I think it was they'd given up 14 plays of 30 or more yards before the OU game and they'd given up 10 plays of 40 or more yards on the year and you know where those numbers are now after playing OU Grant probably they've not now- great <laughs> so now they've given up 17 plays of uh, 30 or more yards and that 40 plus yard play is up to 14 so Oklahoma had four 40 plus yard plays against TCU so what TCU's defense has been is exactly what it was against Oklahoma a team team that you know made some made some nice plays and there's like some no gains and one yard gains but Oklahoma hit a lot of big plays in the game so it's nice to see that Oklahoma saw that and Lincoln Riley exploited it
1: yeah TC I mean yeah watching TCU and it's very clear why their numbers look like they do I mean they when they got into the backfield they swarmed the ball carry and I mean I wouldn't be surprised if they had close to 10 TFLs in the game Um, except kind of seems like when the ball got past the line of scrimmage for OU they were getting chunk yards like every single time so you know I I don't know if Gary Patterson is just like hey man I'm don't feel like we're great on the back end, so let's just send a bunch of guys and try to smother them. But I mean, if when you got Trevon Morrig there, I mean, I don't know why you would have that mindset. Um, one of my biggest takeaways from that game is that Trevon Morrig is awesome. He's really good. Like, just I wish he was. I wish he was OU one of OU's starting safeties. They'd mm-hmm. be really good if he was.
0: Yeah, good call, Grant. TCU had exactly ten TFLs in the game. Really. Yeah, see, I, I I still got it sometimes, guys. I've been terrible this year,
1: but I still got it sometimes.
0: Uh, Josh says D played well, and then he also has another one. Pretty, it's uh, Josh says Buki stop flexing. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, that was such a bizarre sequence of events in the first half. Whenever his helmet popped off, and then he was talking, and you thought, oh well. There's Buki getting flagged again. And then the unsportsmanlike penalty went against TCU. That was weird. I thought for sure it'd go against Buki. The over-celebrating, the
1: over-celebrating, you know, when he makes routine plays, I'm convinced that's the reason why everyone is so hyperbolic about Buki. I'm convinced that is the case. Um, I mean, that's
0: a big part of it, yeah. He I mean, he, because he, the, I he mean definitely the, stands out because he, he kind of brings attention to himself a lot of the time. I mean, like... I, but yeah, I'm gonna say like the rhetoric
1: around Buki does not does not match what's actually happening on the field. He's nowhere near as bad as
0: the hyperbole would would lead you to believe. Um, so yeah, you've been on that, and and actually I had a discussion at work the other day with with players about or players with uh, coworkers about Buki, and and the thing is he, I, I I think this is your point. It's he he puts enough good stuff on tape to where he still plays a lot and still starts, but it's just whenever he does something that's bizarre or unorthodox or makes a, a boneheaded play it just it, it comes in scenarios where you, you want to pull your hair out because you're thinking you just put a, a couple of good plays on film and then you you hold or you grab or you commit a dumb pi it was incredibly avoidable then what like what are you doing so he does that enough to where it, it makes it to where you complain about it and you get annoyed by it so he's a very inconsistent player i guess is the main yeah and like i do what i'm saying like I'm just trying to
1: think, like what? Because everyone's talking about how he's he's horrible, he's bad. I'm like, no, Jordan Thomas is a bad football player. That's that was bad, and we saw we saw plenty of that. Buki is. And he eventually got benched. Eventually got benched. I, I just yeah. I'm Buki clearly has been targeted a lot this season. A lot of a lot of game plans have offensive game plans. Opposing ones have clearly targeted him and and thought that they have something there, and I think they do. But I, he's. That's really the only weak spot on their defense right now is the height of their defensive backs. And so that's what teams are going to attack.
0: Yeah, no, and it's, it's funny you mentioned that teams have been targeting him. I actually went back, and I didn't watch, re-watch the game that closely, but I went back and watched all the OU defensive series because I wanted to see how many snaps each safety played. I, I didn't look at the corners, uh, Washington, Davis, and Brown. I, so I just looked at safeties. I'm, I'm just curious because I know that uh, Jeremiah Craddell played a decent amount, and I know that Trey Norwood's been playing a decent amount, so I was just curious what the numbers are. And the snap count went Patrick Fields, 45 snaps in the game. Buki had 40. DTY with 38. Trey Norwood had 22. Jeremiah Cordell played 18 snaps at nickel in for Buki. And Justin Broyles... For Pat Fields played thirteen snaps in at free safety for Pat Fields, and uh, Trey Norwood came in and spelled DTY. That's he's the backup strong safety, and also Norwood played a handful of plays. Uh, he's Oklahoma's 60 back when they go to a dime package, and so Norwood with twenty two. But the reason I bring this up is that we all saw that last touchdown TCU scored late in the game came against Buki. Uh, it was it was decent coverage. It's just he's he's shorter and he can't he can't break that up. And on that series, Oklahoma had all of its backups out there in the secondary for the most part, at least in the safeties. But then when TCU got the ball into the red zone, Alex Grinch brought his starters back in, which included Buki. And right off the bat, they go right at Buki and, and TCU scored a touchdown. It makes me wonder what would have happened, like what the, the plan TCU would have had if they would have kept, if Grinch would have kept uh, Criddle out there and Broyles, and uh, Norwood, if they would have gone somewhere else, if they would, or, or if they would have picked on Jeremiah Credell, I don't know. So I just found that to be kind of interesting. that, uh, And even in, like, in a garbage-time scenario, they bring the starters back out there to presumably prevent a touchdown, but TCU immediately attacks the nickel, Buki, on that play and scores a touchdown. Yeah, I mean, so.
1: I think if, if, you know, if an opposing team has a physically large receiver and you get into the red zone teams are probably going to try to put that guy in the slot and isolate him on Buki. Uh, you know, that's, that's, that's essentially, that was essentially Iowa State's game plan with Charlie Kohler. Um, I mean, who else? I don't know. I, it's just, yeah, I, I get it. I understand why everyone is so frustrated with Buki. It's just kind of, I don't know, calm down a little bit. He's, he's nowhere near as bad as you guys think he is. Like, I, it's, it, it's pretty easy to forget all of the good stuff that he's done just based on, like, a, a handful of plays. I mean, we're we're not we're not too far removed from him completely removing Devin Duvernay from the game last season against Texas. Completely eliminated him.
0: Yeah, you say stuff like that, and you say the the Kohler thing. I almost think I need to go back and rewatch those games to see how how accurate those statements really are. Well, he took because uh, I he, I didn't watch close away enough to know in or not. that Texas yeah. game he
1: took away. Texas's favorite play for Duvernay to get him in like into space Buki was on top of that play the entire game and they just they could not they could not mm. get it going at all
0: so yeah he does I mean he again he I he does put enough good things on tape to obviously have him keep his and, starting job and Oklahoma doesn't have the depth back there Jeremiah Credell. Is is chipping away. He's starting to get a little more snaps back there, and I'm I'm curious to see how much Cradell plays against Texas Tech. Is he gonna? Will he play 20 snaps? Will he be able to go up and play 22 snaps like Trey Norwood? And you know it's like and I, I don't Buki's know. a Buki's
1: a small guy, but you can't say that he's not physical. He scraps and claws out there. He throws his body on the line. I the guy plays hard. The guy he's he's not the best defensive back in OU history. He's also he's also not a horrible player. It's stupid
0: to say so. It's really weird. He's actually not too bad up around the line of scrimmage because that's whenever sometimes, like, he had a play in this game. I believe He does he, his job. He a, he, well, he had a third down stop. He, he made a tackle, I think, on TCU's first touchdown drive. I believe Buki made a tackle at the line of scrimmage to make it fourth and one. And it's like near the line of scrimmage, he actually goes down and, and tackles and gets people low. Whereas when he's out in the field... He, he really likes to go for those kill shots and throw his shoulders around, and that n- never seems to work. That, so it's, whenever he's forced to, to go low and make tackles, he, he can do it sometimes. It's just, was, it, was it Nick yeah.
1: Harris who, who tweeted out what, what Buki is like a horrible football player? Like, I love yeah. Nick Harris, but that's a stupid thing to say. That was a stupid thing to say.
0: Nick Harris, the uh, former OU safety who was really good back in 2008. And, and he's, very, he's, he's very wrong on this account. Uh, I mean, he is, he's, he's wrong. He's just wrong. He's, he's obviously, I I mean, again, like Jordan Thomas was horrible. Everything on Twitter is the worst thing right yeah I mean yeah Jordan yeah okay in that sense you're right it's it's just classic social media everything must be awesome or everything must be terrible and I think Nick Harris was falling into the I gotta be you know everything is horrible I'm I'm sure Nick Harris would also acknowledge probably if if we asked him for nuance that yes he does put some good tape on film but he was probably annoyed mostly by uh, either lack of tackling or like mistakes in the secondary and Nick Harris is a former OU safety so he knows all about that like what you're supposed to do that kind of, that yeah, bugs it, me. That yeah. bugs me.
1: Nick Harris is a guy who's a three-year starter at OU, and he's a really good player for OU. He's a guy who would think that would know football. Don't say that about a dude in the program that you played in, especially when it's
0: extremely wrong. You should look like an idiot. No, I... I mean, you've always, you've always backed Buki a lot that more kind than kind of than That fires people. me I, up.
1: That pisses me off.
0: Like, shut up, Nick Harris. You're an idiot. Get off social I, I media. Mean, it's... Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think Buki's horrible, but I guess I give a little bit of charity to what he's saying because I'm sure he. uh, It's like Nick Harris being an adult. Being an
1: adult, like yeah, that's just if I was Lincoln Riley, if I was Lincoln Riley, that would piss me off. like I, I I wouldn't be surprised if Nick Harris got contacted by
0: someone in the program over that. Maybe we should contact him, get him on the show. Maybe he can, maybe he can uh, provide some. I didn't think, yeah, I didn't think I, no yeah, I, didn't think I would go
1: it, in but. go into it that uh, that much, but that 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 really pissed me off big time.
0: Hmm. See, I, I see it as it's not a good look whenever a former player does that. What does that say about like? It, it either says a lot about the former player, or it says a lot about the current player, and I don't know which one is right. Or it could be a little bit of both because there's always gray areas and everything. Even though Twitter wants you to believe that there's no gray area it's always black and white but Buki should stop flexing for sure and looking <laughs> stupid doing stuff like that uh last couple of three word reviews and i like this because this is provide like we were going to talk about a lot of this stuff anyway so we got it out of the way here uh, zone read sucks comes courtesy of josh uh we've already talked about that a little bit yeah that those did not work well at all and then michael says patterson is salty and, yeah, again, that the whole Gary Patterson end-of-game thing was, was pretty weird. All right, thank you all for the three-word reviews. I hope that that was, was a decent way for us to acknowledge that you guys sent them in and covering them, and, and that's the most we've ever really gone through them because normally we do it at the very end of the show, and we've already kind of discussed a lot of the things that you guys say in your three-word reviews, so that, that gave us an opportunity to, to show your guys' thoughts but also provide ours as well. So that was pretty fun. I like that. All right, but more on the TCU game if we've missed anything. Uh, I, I think I, I briefly touched on this in the same sense that Oklahoma was able to offensively exploit TCU's defense that gives up a lot of big plays. I like that on the flip side, Oklahoma's defense did exactly what it needed to do, and that's contain Max Duggan, only nine carries for 46 yards. Uh, I believe 34 of them came on that that late-game run. OU sacked Duggan three times, and I said last week that if Oklahoma is able to contain Duggan and and prevent him from from beating them with his legs, that Oklahoma's defense should have a really good game, and and I think I said they should eat, and I think that's what happened. I think Oklahoma's defense played really well, and they sacked him three times. They had a bunch of TFLs, and I guess the only downside you could say is that, and you texted me this after the game, that uh, Duggan had a really quiet 276 yards through the air, which...
1: Very, a very, very yeah. empty 276 yards. I, I was kind of surprised it was that many when I was looking at the box score. Hey, just, just real quick, just because it, it, just, it totally just flashed in my mind as I, was, as I was going in on Nick Harris. Remember when Nick Harris picked off Tebow in the national championship game? That was <laughs> oh, I, I awesome. will never forget that. That was awesome.
0: I feel That's, bad uh, now.
1: I love Nick Harris, he, but I just think that was a stupid moment.
0: Aside from the OU-Texas Tech game that season... I think the Nick Harris picking off Tebow might have been my favorite moment of the twenty. That that may have been season.
1: the most fired up I've like I've ever been during a football game. Oh man,
0: because it was the whole narrative was you know Tebow is awesome. He he never throws picks. He never makes any mistakes. And oh, you picked him off not once but twice in that game. Oh, Gerald McCoy.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Venable's yeah. man. That guy's a wizard. <laughs> I. But yet, I love Alex uh, Grinch. Or I don't love. Him. I like Alex Grinch, but I. I wish Venables was still here. Yeah, Me too.
0: I think everyone does. He's he's clearly separated himself from everybody else, man. He he knows what he's doing and it's just it's so crazy to me that it's pretty obvious that he is just okay with being a DC. Like he doesn't want to be a head coach. Like if, if he wanted to be, he he'd have done it by now, right? I mean, like he's he could have gotten hired in a lot of different places, but clearly just, he just could just be little, waiting for the perfect being, moment. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like or if just, True, He he's still pretty damn young. So If Lincoln guess, Riley yeah.
1: ever goes to the NFL, I, I would really hope that Venables is
0: Castiglione's first call. I mean, it should be. Hmm, that'd be interesting. i surprised he didn't want to go to K-State, man, whenever that uh, Bill Snyder left, because all those guys started at K-State. Stoops, Venables, you know, hey, you could have gone to... <laughs> he probably was thinking like, yeah, I'm not going to get the same kind of player at K-State, so I, I'm not going to consider that job. You know, I'm looking at my list here on the rundown of all the good things that Oklahoma did in the game against TCU, and I think we've kind of covered it all so far during the three word review section. So
1: Should we talk about Perry and Winfrey's amazing screaming flex after oh, okay, he, yeah, I, after he got yeah. Duggan on like was it a QB draw that Duggan was trying to run there? That was a
0: weird play. Really weird play.
1: Third down. Yeah. I mean I I mean Duggan came after yeah.
0: Duggan running that, is,
1: is the most dangerous part of their offense, so it doesn't – I mean, it makes sense,
0: but don't run into Perry and Winfrey, baby. Big mistake. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe it's a weird play in my mind because it, it just – it was blown up by Perry on Winfrey uh, immediately. So I guess, you know, if, if Perry on Winfrey wasn't there, maybe it would have been a great play call. <laughs> uh, yeah, scream and, and, and flex, that comes right man. after you, you, you like are a big scream, uh, big scream and flex guy because you talked about that, what, last week or two weeks ago? I mean, I, I, I talk about scream and
1: flex whenever I can get the opportunity, baby. That's, that, that, should just, that should just be everyone's default celebration. When Buki, wants, when Buki wants to flex, just scream and flex. Way better.
0: <laughs> that, was, that was a good play. And then uh, Jordan Kelly blowing up that reverse. That was a cool play. Uh, Marcus Stripling had that sack coming off the edge. That was cool. Uh, they sacked him a couple other times, I believe. And like Benito got after the guy. I mean, it's just that everybody in that front seven, TCU's offensive has, uh, has line good.
1: did uh, did not do well <laughs> in pass protection. They got uh, there. You know, there there were a couple plays on rewatch where Duggan did ha- you know kind of have some nice pockets to throw from, but it was not a majority of
0: plays. That is for sure. Well, how about the the bad parts of that game and? Uh, there's only one that stands out to me, and you know, it's it's the one part that I was really excited to see against TCU, and I, I really thought Oklahoma would have a big game running the football. But again, it was an underwhelming day running the ball. Individually, TJ Pledger, he was pretty good. I think he averaged, what, like 5.7 yards per carry, something like that. So not bad. But outside of that, once again, under four yards per carry as a team, and Lincoln Riley, after – uh, not after the game but uh, yesterday talked about how he's like yeah we did enough things he he thinks they did like they had some really stupid plays where they were either you know they lost yardage or they had no gain that he pointed to and he thinks that he thinks that overall that the offensive line and the running backs they, they did enough they they should have been able to you know average at least 4 yards per carry in that game but still i mean that's not the standard in Oklahoma i mean 4 yards per carry still is nothing and so I was disappointed, Grant, that, that Seth McGowan didn't do more in that game, that they even I mean Pledger was fine. he was good. He had, his touchdown run was great. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, it was it really was good strong. It was, that powerful. was good to see. Um, we've criticized him for not finishing runs this year and getting tackled up, upon first contact. That was the exact opposite on that run. He that got was the exact like same run.
1: That was the exact same run that he did not finish in Ames when they had to mm-hmm. kick a field goal on the first possession. That was the same run. And it was really and good Grant? to see that he finished it.
0: And granted, TCU went high on them. They didn't go low, and that, that definitely hurt TCU, but Pledger made them pay for it. That was great. But, I mean, once again, they're still leaving some plays out there on the field. Again, uh, I mean, McGowan had that great catch, the wheel route out of the backfield. Nice to see Oklahoma still using wheel routes of the running back against Gary Patterson defenses. That's still a thing that Lincoln Riley likes to do. But other than that, he, he, was, he was quiet on the day. And then all the zone reads, all the zone read keepers from Rattler. By the way, after the game, Riley was asked about that, about you know why the, the lack of success on zone reads. And it was a really weird answer. Riley said, well, I'm not so sure we ran a lot of zone reads. But, uh, and then he, I can't remember what he said after that. But my thought was, wait, what? So are, are, you, kinda, are you saying that Rattler was supposed to hand the ball off on those? And those were designed – like you know, handoffs to the running back, and you're kind I of. I kind of,
1: I had that in the back of my mind yeah. when I was rewatching it yesterday and today, and I think they may not have been designed zone reads. I mean, they were the the blocks were definitely RPOs set up where he. The blocks yeah. were definitely set up to go for the running back. Um, yeah. So I I I honestly don't know what happened on those plays, which which leads me to believe there could have just been some miscommunication, some confusion. Um, but it kept happening over and over again. So I mean, it didn't over and over again. It happened maybe three or four times, but still, it was it, it was it was kind of weird. So uh, in terms of like the running game, though, I it's not all surprising to me that they at times you know didn't have a ton of success getting it going. Um, TCU really does kind of attack that GT the 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 guard tackle pull pretty well, um, and. You know, for better or worse, right now OU's running backs that they're running out there just aren't that explosive. They're not, um, and so they are going to leave a lot of yards on the, on the field. And, and I did see some; there were some blocks missed. Tyrese Robinson didn't have a great day. Um, I saw I saw Anton Harrison miss quite a bit of blocks. Hey, he's a the true freshman left tackle. He's definitely a work in progress in the run game. I, he's 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 a really good pass protector for a true freshman. Uh, but yeah, you you can tell he still kind of struggles kind of putting it all together in the run game but um i don't know lee did you uh did you notice when chris murray went out there at all it was the his first drive of the game
0: was the one where uh, they threw the the long bomb to mims and he scored no i didn't go back and re-watch the game closely on offense and during the game i didn't see see that at all so looks I looks good can't comment on murray okay he
1: looks good the I, um the lo- their longest run of the game it was like a 25 yarder uh, from pledger Murray sprung it and he was the he he was the guard in the guard tackle pull and he completely washed Garrett Wallow out of the play so um good yeah he he looks you know and and Tyrese Robinson I I kind of made a made a point to watch Tyrese Robinson a lot in the game and you know Tyrese Robinson really does struggle a lot of the times to to get to his block especially in the guard tackle pull he really does um and you can tell that Chris Murray is just kind of a different athlete so, um, it, I mean, it's – obviously, this has been kind of a well-worn subject. I'm not an offensive line expert, but as I was – when I was isolating and watching those two guys individually, Murray just just looks like a very – just a much more athletic player. Um, I, I can't really comment on anything else because I think Murray only played like seven or eight snaps.
0: Um, but he looked – I mean, he looked the part when he was out there. I know that Dusty Dvorak, I talked to him on Sunday, and he – said a lot of great things about the offensive line he was watching back. he always gets the all 22 so he's able to watch the the end zone tight copy and obviously the all 22 and he he showed me a couple plays of I think Marquise Hayes I think he said he thought Marquise Hayes had his best game he was throwing guys around like a rag doll Uh, he said that he thought the offensive line played really well and and he thought what he saw from Murray was pretty good too Um, so yeah it sounds like it was maybe the best game of the year from the offensive line. And that fall, you know followed up uh, after the Texas game where the offensive line played really well in that game too for the most part. And as we get further and further into the year, and I know I sound like a broken record, but this is what Oklahoma's offensive lines usually do. They start to gel and play a lot better. And then, yeah, if Murray can, can bring even more to the table, that'd be great. If anything, you know, there's extra added depth. And I know he's been practicing with the team, so that's good. So he shouldn't have to really take that long to get, you know, adjusted. Uh, maybe, like, actual game action and game speed is something he'll have to get used to again. But, um, yeah, it, the key is obviously going to be getting Ramondre back, and hopefully that opens up a lot in the running game and, and everything else with the offense, too. So, so yeah, any other negative parts of the TCU game you want get, to get into? Or I nothing jumps out at me. I think that's...
1: No, there was nothing really that... Um, I mean, there was... There was some penalties that you don't like, obviously, but I mean, penalties are going to happen. There, you know, whatever, chalk it up. There's going to be at least four or five every game, and I know they average like ten a game. Um, but I I don't remember penalties being as big of a deal on Saturday as they had been uh, previously in the season. So other than that, it was it, it was a clean game. I I thought the the biggest like the biggest criticisms you can have for for OU in that game is that they just left points on the board, you know, and also i to go back to it like i man charleston rambo is not it people i'm i'm obviously late to the party on that but i i don't i don't think he's really ever gonna put it all together I, I don't it's he's too much time did you there was there was a bomb to rambo in the second half i believe that just went off of his fingertips and i wish they would have shown a replay of it which i know is a novel concept i don't know why abc can't show replays of plays yeah
0: um Yeah, that was a very I, poor I, broadcast. I,
1: I would have I would have really liked to see that um see that play again because Rambo had, you know, had a yard or two of cushion on the defensive back and I would have liked to know if it was something that Rambo just straight up dropped or if, you know, if um or if Rattler didn't put it right on the money, but that'd have been nice to see. I it, maybe it, it does kind of feel like sometimes that if if they can just connect on one of those things, maybe the floodgates will open for Rambo, but Man, I just I just don't know. I, I don't know. Like, the guy when you look at him, he see, like he he looks kind of like a prototypical NFL receiver. He's long, he's big, long strider, he's fast, but just it's it's just not really clicking.
0: No, and I know that uh, Dean and Dusty both were disappointed that Rambo didn't catch that ball. I, I'm with you. I would have liked to see a replay. I went back and watched it just uh, at work and kind of went through the slow mo. To me, it it was you know if if you're an NFL receiver and you're an elite college receiver yeah it's a play that you probably should make and I think as I was going frame by frame I think he would have had to dive to make that catch I think it was like off his fingertips like he would have had to make like a dive it it would have been a great catch I think I I don't think it was an easy ball for him to bring in I based on again there's no replay to me that's what it looked like I, I don't think it's egregious they didn't bring it in but at the same time though i i don't think of charleston rambo as as this big time nfl receiver i I think it would have been a really really nice catch actually to borderline great catch if he would have made the play uh but with him not making it it didn't really bother me that much uh but again i i I don't see rambo as that It, it they definitely did not call the plays where they get the ball to him in space and have and ask him to to make people miss that that stopped uh, because he can't do it. And, and he, here's the thing with, with him. He, and this is kind of what bothered me going into the season. Maybe a lot of people. It's just he, he's really fast, sure. But he hasn't, does, doesn't do anything exceptionally well. And he's also very easy to tackle for being very fast. He, he's not good at making people miss. And if you get a hand on him, it seems like he comes down. And that's been that way for the first five games. He he just he can't get away from tacklers. And so are you saying make, the uh, yeah.
1: you're saying that the production that he put on the field kind of in the first quarter of the season last year uh, may have been a product of the guy who was on the other side of the field.
0: Maybe he had a lot to do with it, but also I think he was he was wide open a lot for Jalen Hurts, and he was catching a lot of draggers, and he was catching uh, a couple deep balls. But I think of the uh, UCLA game. He has two touchdowns he scored there. I, I believe it might have been the the, the the quarters beater concepts where they they ran him across the field into open space, and he was wide open a couple of times. One of them, he was open, and he just caught it and ran with it. Nobody around him. Easy touchdown. And I think the other one was a deep quarters beater against uh, without any safety help, and he was able to run underneath it and make the play on a nice throw by Jalen Hurts. So, I mean, plays that a lot of receivers could make, I guess, is kind of what I'm saying. Granted, he his best – play to this to this date was in the Orange Bowl against Bama on that throw by Murray I mean that was a great throw and, and a really great catch too by staying in bounds but um, yeah it's it's really it's just it's disappointing that he hasn't been able to take that that leap because I mean he's he has shown flashes
1: he has and that's why but I mean I, I would say he hasn't shown any flashes this
0: season at all and that's pretty disappointing and kind of go back to uh very first game of the year I think Spencer Rattler's only incompletion or something was the his drop, right? Rambo's drop on that really nice ball. Yeah, and, yeah. and So maybe that was a harbinger of, of things to come, unfortunately. Not that he's dropped a lot of passes, but just like it, it wasn't going to be a great year maybe for Charles. I'm trying to Rambo. remember like
1: when was the last time someone came in with just like a lot of expectations, and this was just really disappointing. And the only thing I can think of is Cameron Kinney. I don't know why, but hmm. um, Wait, was, remember Cameron was Kinney? supposed to? Of no, course no. I mean, I did. I I put a lot of expectations on Rambo. I thought he was going to have a great season. I thought he was going to be. I, oh, I, I
0: thought you meant. I thought you meant just like a, a player comes in like to the program, like as you know, not like this year. I, th- I thought you meant like oh, you had a lot of high expectations for Rambo when he first got to the program.
1: Yeah, no, I, it was it was mo- it's, oh, okay. it's, it's 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 putting the flashes together. You know the the pass from Kyler in the Orange Bowl, the first quarter of games last season, until people realized that Jalen Hurts really couldn't throw. Um, stuff like that, and I, I figured, hey, we got you know Spencer Rattler coming in here, who we know can throw the ball. We know is going to open up this offense a lot more. Veteran offensive line that's going to you know have a really punishing run game behind it. And it's really going to open up those play action bombs down the field. I, I really, really bought into that, and it's looking like it. It's if it's if that's going to happen, it's not going to be Rambo. It's going to be Marvin Mims.
0: All right, let's. Turn the page over to Texas Tech. Look ahead to the game this weekend, a night game in Lubbock. OU was a 15-point favorite last time I checked. Again, we record on Wednesday evening. And so Texas Tech's got a new quarterback grant, and he started his first career game last week against West Virginia, Henry Columbia and Texas Tech won the game. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to find a full copy of it on YouTube, and i, I didn't I didn't roll on it. Last week, I forgot to record it on my DVR, so I don't have it. So I don't have uh, the full game on Columbia. I watched the Big 12 extended highlights, so I, I saw a little bit of it. Um, and I'll give you a chance right now to spike the football because you were a big nonbeliever in Alan Bowman over the years, and I I was one who thought that he was he, he could be pretty good, and you know Cliff Kingsbury made him good, and I kind of thought that Matt Wells with his history – coaching Jordan, um, Jordan Love. You know, Jordan Love was pretty good under Matt Wells. I figured that Wells would be able to come in and pick up right where Kingsbury left off. Well, Alan Bowman essentially got benched. Now I shouldn't say essentially, he did. He got benched before last game. And so you were a big, uh, again, non-believer in Alan Bowman. So here, the floor is yours. You were correct.
1: I'm not going to go too on it. I mean, this as a guy who had like a collapsed lung and you know, he was hurt all of last year too, so... Uh, But, no, I mean, even when he was kind of at the height of his game, his true freshman season when he came in, um, I I just I didn't see it. I didn't see it at all. What I saw from him was a guy who could barely get the ball downfield and was really struggling to even put it really any oomph, you know, on on screen passes, uh, you know, uh, stuff like that. I thought he was a complete product of Cliff Kingsbury, and I just did not see at all what other people were seeing. And so I just, yeah, I mean, I just I thought he was legitimately bad even under Cliff Kingsbury even when he was completing like 20 consecutive passes against OU in 2018 in the first half I was it was driving me insane because I was like this guy has no talent whatsoever he's bad <laughs> and um I mean, yeah he got he got benched by you know a guy who could never even get on the
0: field at Utah State so well, to to be fair to Columbia, he was uh, yeah he transferred from Utah State, but he was backing up Jordan Love, and Jordan Love uh, he was really good in 2018. He was not so good in 2019, and now he's behind Aaron Rodgers. And actually, I think he's behind uh, Aaron Rodgers' backup. I, I I don't think Jordan Love is anywhere near playing in the NFL yet, but um, he had he put he put that one good year of tape on tape. Uh, so yeah, that that's why Columbia hadn't played at all, and finally he gets his first career start, and and he was you know go at the box score he was he was fine he was 22 of 28 169 yards he had a touchdown pass Uh, but he also ran the ball he had 11 carries for 40 yards and a touchdown on the ground and apparently I was reading up a little bit of Texas Tech stuff Uh, what Columbia provides tech that that um, Bowman did not is a is some some mobility because Bowman didn't really run which you know I don't blame him because, again, you mentioned all the injuries he's had. Man, it, it's really bad luck for that guy. But uh, Columbia's a pretty thick dude, and he, he's not blazing fast by any means. He's kind of built like Sam Ellinger in a way. Uh, not saying that he's going to like run through tackles and bow people over like Ellinger does sometimes, but that's kind of the vibe I got from him, at least body type-wise. Uh, the highlights I saw didn't have a whole lot of him running. I did see his short touchdown run. But I can't remember, did you get a chance to watch much more of this game? No, nah, it was it you... was the
1: same. Yeah, I, I I couldn't find a copy on YouTube either. Um, and the other so there was like a condensed game at their game against Kansas State, but Bowman played that entire game. Um, so no, I, yeah, I no. think
0: no, no. I actually Columbia came in and played in that. Yeah, game.
1: Yeah, oh yeah, you're right. He came in in the second because
0: because uh, both backup quarterbacks played. Okay. In that um, game.
1: the thing yeah, the thing I gotta say about Columbia is I. The jury's out, I guess. He looks exactly like a stereotypical Texas Tech quarterback. I mean, exactly like it. So, um, except
0: don't they know. don't He's... push the ball down the field as much as they not really. No, they don't. Texas Tech quarterbacks did.
1: Yeah, and so, and I think that's actually. I mean, there's kind of some interesting things there. If if there's one thing that maybe we haven't seen OU be tested on a lot this season, it's it's people throwing short and then forcing the guys in the secondary to tackle. Um, and I think that's what Texas Tech is going to do in this game. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of thinking that might be a little successful in this game. Um, when I've, After the TCU game, my first thought on this game was kind of along the lines of, I think they're going to show up and kind of kick the doors in a little bit. But the other side of my brain is starting to say, ah, not so fast. I, I think what Texas Tech does could present some problems for OU. Um, just in the terms of, I think they're going to, they're going to get the ball out of their hands really, really quickly, neutralizing the defensive line, um, and putting pressure on him and they're going to force the D backs to tackle. Um, can they do that? Yes, I think they can, but I don't know if they've consistently shown that they can do that for an entire four quarters yet. So, mm-hmm. um, I, 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 do think Texas tech's offense does kind of present some challenges here. Um, but having said that, I, I'm I'm not I'm not extremely impressed by Columbia. Everything I've seen from him is just kind of, he's just, he's a distributor. That, that's what he is, and so uh, he's probably going to complete a high percentage of his, of his throws in this game. And it's just all, it's going to be all about getting the guys on the ground. Um, and of course, you know Texas Tech has a couple of really tall receivers that that you're concerned about as well. Um, although it seems like TJ Vasher is, is just not a thing. Um, he like. I, he's he's their third leading receiver, but he only he only has 160 yards this year. So you know, I I, I guess I guess we saw the best of him in Norman three years ago in 2017 because he's never really taken off at all.
0: Yeah, I wonder what's going on with him. I don't, he's I don't got 14 catches being...
1: in five games. That's I mean that's not a lot, especially for a team that throws it a lot.
0: Yeah, against um, West Virginia, it was a uh, Eric ezu kanma as their their main their main target yeah he's their and leading he's receiver a, he leads them catches
1: yeah. and yards and everything and i i honestly six, i don't know much six, about three
0: him. i don't either yeah i i mean vasher does have a vasher does have a couple of touchdowns this season so it's not like he's being shut out but yeah he, for whatever reason he's not being featured like he used to be and you make yeah you make a good point i mean columbia he doesn't seem like he's that dynamic of a player. I guess he, he, we'll keep you honest. He'll, he can run a little bit, but I think you're right. He's a distributor, and Texas Tech's offense is running the ball. They love to run the ball, and they've had a decent amount of success this year, at least uh, their top running back sir roderick thompson has had a pretty good year he's averaging five he's and a half yards per pop yeah i mean he had a long touchdown against west virginia west virginia by the way going into that game last week grant had the number one defense in college football <laughs> did you did you know that yeah but i think they had also played kansas and <laughs> yeah. other I mean, teams total that yards suck. wide uh and so they, it's yeah, like, they played I, oklahoma state with illingworth and you know not uh spencer sanders yeah and i just it's interesting that like obviously it's kind of like a fake number one but yeah. and also so like, honestly, like total total yards is kind of like a whatever stat yeah it doesn't really but. matter
1: and i, I like i because i can see it here in the rundown you're about to bring it up about texas tech's defense you know them in terms of yards per play um I, tcu is last in the big 12 in yards per play but tcu their four games have been against the four best offenses by yards per play in the big 12 right um uh, they haven't played Oklahoma State though, but Oklahoma State hasn't. Their offense hasn't has just not been good at all this year.
0: So no, it's it's not your typical Oklahoma State offense yet. Uh, but I mean, I think they have a decent argument because Spencer Sanders just played his first full game, so he's got to he's got to figure it out. He's got to get more into the the groove. I mean, th- we're going to learn a lot about that team in the next month. And I mean, Mike Gundy's been saying that for the last three weeks. It's like this stretch coming up is that, that's that's we're going to find out about. This I team. am.
1: I'm, I'm already at the point where, and everyone forgive me for this, but I, I'm assuming you will after I give my reasoning. Um, I am, I'm rooting for Texas to win out. I desperately want them to retain Tom Herman. Desperately. Okay. That would be awesome. Cover. And hilarious. So I, I'm rooting for
0: Texas this weekend against Oklahoma State. Oh, okay, gotcha. But anyways, yeah, I, I think you are onto something there with this Texas Tech defense because they, they want to run the ball. Grant, Oklahoma's been really good at stopping the run. So Oklahoma's been gearing up against the run. They sell out to stop it, and they've done a nice job, but that's opened them up to problems on the back end. And if Columbia is a guy that's going to just try to distribute and make Oklahoma's D-backs tackle in space and the linebackers, then can Oklahoma live up to that challenge? Uh, we know that the linebackers, Asamoa Agwebu, when they get their hands on somebody, they bring them down. Woody Washington's been a great tackler so far. DTY, for the most part, a good tackler. Uh, Trey Brown, hit and miss. Uh, Jaden Davis, hit and miss. Uh, Buki, hit and miss, depending on where he is on the field. So, yeah, that will probably be the game plan. And I, I agree. I, I'm not concerned about Texas Tech's offense. However, the thought of... Oklahoma rallying and making tackles in the open field when they don't have help—that does bother me a bit. Even though uh, tackling has been a bit better, Texas and uh, against TCU compared to what it was against Iowa State. And I definitely, so, yeah.
1: you know, it, it depends too because I mean Texas Tech. I mean, if they try to go, they try to go horizontally on OU, like from side to side, that's not going to work well for them. They shouldn't do that. Uh, I, I think where Texas Tech's game plan kind of should be is they should try to spread them out four or five wide and they should run little hitches and curls and just force OU Mm -hmm. to tackle um and I think I I think one of the you know one of the counters for OU you know for that is is to get up in their face and play physical man coverage knowing that Texas Tech doesn't really push it down the field that often um and force them to do that like I mean I would if you know, I would force Texas Tech to throw deep on you if if you want them. You know, if they want to move the ball, because they haven't really shown an ability to do that yet.
0: And OU's defense still is showing that weakness at times. Whenever the opposing team offense runs a couple motion guys, they either have trips to one side and they motion a a, a wide receiver out to the slot, and they'll they'll force Buki to back off and give cushion, and then they'll they'll allow a lot of easy completions there. We saw that a little bit against. TCU actually just like once, maybe once or twice. Texas exploited it. Actually, Texas didn't really exploit that very much. Iowa State did over and over again. But it's still a thing in Oklahoma's defense, and that's definitely a play or a strategy that Texas Tech could could employ if Oklahoma still wants to, to soften up soften up safety, soften up nickels whenever there's certain motion in, in, certain, in, uh, in certain formations. And so I, you know, watch for I, that.
1: Yeah, watching, uh, watching what little I did of the West Virginia game, there's like a nine-minute highlight tape on there where that's probably on YouTube that shows probably 10 or 11 offensive plays for Texas Tech. I didn't see any of that motion and window dressing like at all that you definitely would have seen with Cliff Kingsbury. I didn't really see any of that at all. Um, so I, I'm, I'm going to be keeping a really keen eye out for that um, on Saturday because, I mean, yeah, the, the motion and stuff like that before the snap, that's when I on this OU defense, that's when I start to kind of clench a little bit. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Uh, 430 yards per game offensively, I mean, not great, but that still is fourth in the Big 12, I think. So it's, it's not like the offense for Texas Tech has struggled. It's, it's done pretty well. They're averaging 5.7 yards per play, which is, which is fine. It's kind of middle of the pack right I mean, now How in much? football. How
1: much of that was on, was, was on
0: Texas, though? I mean, Texas' defense is pretty bad. Texas' defense has actually improved a lot, at least statistically. It, it's, in, uh, and They just played overall, Baylor, though. Yeah. Yeah, Charlie Brewer's not having a great year from what I hear. I haven't watched Baylor much this year, but uh, that just shows that, you that's how, actually not that surprising. shows you how good of a coach Matt Rule is. Yeah. That guy's a great I mean, coach. Yeah. So, yeah, the Texas Tech offense, is uh, it's fine. It, Oklahoma should have the upper hand. I mean, it just... They should. The way they're playing, they're playing better. You know, if, if they're playing the sexist tech offense in week two or three, I mean, who knows? Uh, who knows? But, I mean, they're, they're starting to figure things out a little bit more defensively. And it's just they don't present a whole lot of, at least, granted, we haven't seen a whole lot of tech, but they don't seem to present a whole lot of playmaker. I mean, their running back's pretty good. Their so, we'll, running back yeah. is,
1: uh, Sir Roderick Thompson is by far
0: their best player. By far.
1: Um, I, I, I would receiver. Take, yeah.
0: Go ahead. That receiver with the difficult to pronounce last name is pretty. He looked pretty good too in the couple highlights that that I saw. Sir Roderick, that's a guy. I mean, I he's a guy who, if he was on OU's roster, he'd be.
1: I think he'd be their lead backer. He's better than TJ Pleasure, so you know, I at least he's more
0: explosive. At least. Well, you flip it around, and Texas Tech's defense has not been good. Uh, It's it's the worst defense in the Big Twelve statistically. Uh, You mentioned the yards per play. Um, they're they're behind TCU Texas Tech ha- I mean they faced that Texas team a lot of that came against Texas but you know they have also faced who uh, they just faced West Virginia who's got not not a special offense I know uh, Jarrett Deggie played pretty well against them last week they they faced Brock Purdy in Iowa State which Brock Purdy's had a bad season he's bad <laughs> man like he's just it's, not good he isn't good it's uh it's it's even more Crappy that it's, um, I know. Yeah, a lot OU of you lost to them.
1: It it does suck, and like you need Iowa State to lose three times. You know, for them, you know, for OU to kind of be ahead of them in the standings with with the tiebreakers and stuff like that. If if Brock Purdy doesn't improve, I can assure you that Iowa State will lose two more times this year.
0: <laughs> but I mean, Tech Tech has faced some of the better Big Twelve offenses, though. I guess I mean Texas. I mean, even though Brock Purdy's struggling, I would say still got a pretty good offense. And uh, I mean, they played K State, even though K State didn't have their starting quarterback for half the game, and I know that k State's offense isn't like a world beater, but k State's been a good team this year. k so. State
1: well didn't k State only i think k State only scored 14 offensive points in that game. oh did they yeah k- yeah k state is k State's doing it with is doing it with 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 mirrors. I mean they're just they're you know they're doing what they usually do
0: That's not true k State I'm looking at right now they they got all their points from offense.
1: Oh, did they? they scored, um, uh, yeah, yeah they scored, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm thinking of their game against
0: TCU. They scored 31 against Tech. Deuce Vaughn had a 70-yard touchdown. What was the final <laughs> score in that game? 31-21. You're, um, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was thinking
1: it, it was against TCU. It was 21 to 14, wasn't it?
0: Yes. Okay. Yeah, I just got them mixed up. That's my fault. Kansas State, TCU. Yeah. 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 That was. Yeah, and uh, TCU um through a pick six the backup Duggan's backup through a pick six I'm um, looking at uh, Columbia threw the ball 42 times against K-State holy cow how many yards so, 244
1: <laughs> they, not they do not they do not push it down the field oh boy
0: so yeah That's, in, in I mean I, I probably should have went back and watched that game you could have probably seen seen more at Columbia but oh well
1: I I mean I I watched some of it. like I've seen a bit of Columbia and he's fine. He's fine. Like I think he's I think he's he's better than Alan Bowman and he's better than Jet Duffy. That's I mean so um if if he's able like I don't think he's going to hurt or kill Texas Tech. It's it's unlikely that he's going to like turn it over a ton throwing it downfield. Um right. We'll see. I don't know. Like he, he's he's not a guy I'm super scared of, but if he's able to distribute it to the right places, you know, the right people in the right time, and they can make plays, then he can be effective. Maybe.
0: Well, Texas Tech's rush defense hasn't been terrible. They're they're kind of middle of the pack. Uh, they're, I mean, T- TCU's rush defense has been really bad compared to Texas Tech's and Oklahoma's. I mean, they had a couple decent, decent rushes, but again, it wasn't a, wasn't like a explosive. Uh, usual OU versus TCU under Lincoln-Riley running game. And so uh, I don't know what to expect from Oklahoma's run game. I mean, it, they're doing enough to win, which is good. But, um, yeah, man, I I hopefully Ramondre comes back and that that just provides a gigantic boost I guess, to yeah, go I, along with the offensive line playing better.
1: I, I'm just... So I guess because I, I just don't know how involved Ramondre is going to be, but I... I <laughs> the difference between Ramondre Stevenson and TJ pleasure is night and day that it's one of the guys is, an, is, is like a for sure NFL guy and the other isn't so, you know, I, I mean, I, I thought Ramondre Stevenson, um, showed that he was clearly the most talented running back on the team last season. Um, I was really excited for him going into this year suspended, you know, suspension, not, you know, notwithstanding, but, um, if Ramondre Stevenson steps into this game and he's the lead back and he gets the work, the workload of a lead back, he is going to make this running game look so much better. And I think people are not going to believe it how much better it looks. Ramondre Stevenson right. is a freaking dude. Just go back and watch highlights from from him last season. Watch all the guys just bouncing off of his tree trunk legs and his his breakaway speed. Um, there's I that. There, there were times last season when he was getting hit in the backfield, guys attacking that GT counter, him getting hit in the backfield, him able to spin out of it, stuff that you see Seth McGowan now. He just starts to run around in the backfield and he loses five yards. Ramondre can turn that into to big gains, and so I, I'm, I'm so pumped to see Ramondre Stevenson. Um, he's and I, uh, he should be nice and fresh if he is. Uh, and i <laughs> I know this is a bit of a hot take, but if I mean as if he starts or if he plays a lot of snaps on Saturday night. He is Oklahoma's best offensive player who is active. He is. Uh no, I I disagree. Non-quarterback. Non-quarterback. Oh,
0: eh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a, Spencer Rattler yeah. is, the,
1: is the team's best player altogether, but if you, you know, he, yeah, I mean. if he's
0: it, yeah, if if he's in a situation if he's in a spot conditioning-wise where they're comfortable giving him something like fifteen to twenty carries, which would make him the lead back, obviously. Then, yeah, I, th- I think I think there's definitely an argument that he is the best non-quarterback offensive player on on the field for them. Yeah, I think that's fair. So if yeah, he I mean, still has to get his sea legs underneath him and he's not up to full speed, then no. Which I mean, that kind of goes without saying, though.
1: On their uh, on their po- on their podcast earlier this week, or maybe it was Sunday after the TCU game, the the Gabe Ikerd and, and Teddy Lehman show. Uh, Gabe said that his the people in the program were saying that they think Ramondre could be a, an NFL starter at running back. He's he's that good. And if you go by go by his, his his stats, his, or not his stats, but his numbers or gosh, I, stats and numbers are the same thing. Grant, go <laughs> by his highlights from last season, what he did last season. Like that's not crazy to me. I, I remember remember when Trey Sermon at the beginning of. Uh, of fall camp last season said that Ramondre stevenson reminds them of jamal charles yeah the more that the more that that season
0: went on the less crazy that seemed and it was all just the his his gait his running style and it does it it looks a lot he looks a lot like jamal charles whenever you see you go back and you punch up old jamal charles highlights with the chiefs but yeah, I mean, they're they're different players. Jamal Charles wasn't really a bruiser, was he? He was more of like a speedster. Who I mean, he yeah, could they're different. A different body type, a different for style. sure. Style, but like the way they run, they move similarly. Lot, yeah, yeah, very smooth. Yeah. All right, Grant, we're not going to go through all the what do you want to see. We don't have time for that. Actually, I got to get going here pretty soon. But um, we'll just uh, we'll just we'll make it quick. What do you think is going to happen? I mean, what do you think is going to ha- do? You think Oklahoma's going to win the game? I think they're going to win the game. Um,
1: I'm, I'm not ready to say they're going to show up in Lubbock and just blow the doors off of them. Um, I, 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 think TCU played way too poorly last week for us to feel a little too confident, um, in, in OU's ability at this point in time. But I mean, I, I think they're going to take another step. This is, this is just another step. This is uh this is a defense that you can, that you, that they can have their way with. And so that's the thing that I'm really going to look forward. Can the offense take that step? They left a lot of points on the board against TCU. Can they put the ball into the end zone against Texas Tech? They really should be able to.
0: Yeah, they really should. I mean, this should be a defense. They should be able to do whatever they want against. It seems like a lot of the times when we do these podcasts over the years, we say that a bunch because Oklahoma's offense is so elite and the Big 12 defenses, a lot of them aren't aren't talented enough to keep up. But this is definitely one of those games where Oklahoma should be able to do whatever it wants offensively. Uh, the defensive stuff's interesting. I think you brought up some interesting points about what Texas Tech could do to present problems for Oklahoma's defense. Anything with Oklahoma's defense is always something you have to kind of walk on eggshells around. Uh, will they? Will they uh, give up big plays again? I mean, they they gave up a, a few big plays to TCU, uh, like, like three. Like yeah
1: the the long just the the long uh, catch and run by Pro Wells because of missed tackles, uh, Duggan's long scramble in the fourth quarter, uh, the the should have been touchdown. It, it, no, it like he didn't catch it, but the wide receiver should have caught it. the the perfect throw from Duggan in the back of the end zone that would have been an yeah. explosive
0: play. Um, yeah, and and very early on TCU's first series, they 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 also got a thirty yard gainer on. Uh, oh, actually, it was it was on the type of the type of play I was discussing about 5-10 minutes ago where they, they used motion and they created a mismatch with Buki and they, they, threw, it, they threw it to the soft, uh, the soft coverage of Buki and it was a 30-yard gain, which happened early on in the game. So a lot of people probably forgot about that. So, I mean, this isn't the K-State game. It's not quite the, the Iowa State game. Uh, the big, you know, Texas Tech, I don't believe, has hit many big plays this year. But with Oklahoma's defense, it's a very high-risk, high-reward-type defense, so there's always that chance. Uh, weather, it's a night game in Lubbock, but the weather looks like it's going to be really good on Saturday. Uh, it's going to be in the, the 50s Saturday night. Not too bad for a, a Halloween-type you know, night game in, in Lubbock, Texas. Do we, so uh, weather shouldn't be a problem. Do we put
1: any stock into, in, into just weird night game Lubbock juju at all?
0: Um... I guess last time, yeah, I mean, I think they're still, I'm not a, big, not a big believer in that, but I guess last time, I mean, Oklahoma, it was really weird, and they yeah, they were but able to survive. 2018
1: defense, though, you have to, I, you know, you got to put that out there as a qualifier. That's why that I mean, game was Kyler, so crazy.
0: I mean, well, true, but also it was really weird because Kyler, remember, he threw two really bad picks early in that game, and it was totally not like Kyler. And it was like, wait, what's, what's going on? Why is Kyler making these horrible decisions and throwing these really bad picks? Because they were down 14 nothing like that. Just, hey, show
1: up on Saturday night, calm, cool, collected. Unleash Ramondre Stevenson. Just let him, let, let, let him pad, the, pad the scoreboard a little bit and then uh, let Spencer kind of without any pressure off throw some bombs to, to separate. and Let's get out of there with the W. Who cares? Who, who cares what yeah. it looks like? Let's just get out of there.
0: Yeah, at this point, doesn't matter. Just just win, um, Oklahoma. I think they're going to win the game. There's no way in heck I would lay more than two touchdowns with this team uh, bl- on the road. I mean, I I, w- I wouldn't do it at home at this point, um, let alone on the road. I didn't
1: it. Uh, so no, the spread opened it. I think 18 and a half. Didn't it? It's already been bet down.
0: Oh wow! I know. I didn't know that. Okay. I haven't been as on the the lines when they come out as I normally am this year. Probably because Oklahoma's three and two, and it's like, eh. And also, I've been burned so badly on OU picking them recently to cover that in my mind they really don't cover. So they did against TCU. So good on them. But uh, they also
1: covered co- against Texas for the first time in a decade, or since 2012. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's yeah, that's true. But uh, so yeah, I think they're going to win the game. But yeah, there's no way in heck I'd, I'd lay the 15 points at this point. And yeah, that's it's same idea. I mean, they they should win this game, but uh, it's. Yeah, I, I kind of subscribe to the weird stuff. It is Halloween. That's kind of a coincidence, but you know, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, do you think Lincoln Riley comes out with uh, a costume? Is he going to be dressed as somebody on the sideline?
1: He's going to be dressed as Bob Stoops. He's going to come out <laughs> eat, like with the old. Uh, he's going to come out with the '90s era, whatever uh, visor and everything.
0: It's going to be great. With the '90s era OU logo, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. hopefully Spencer Rattler doesn't dress as. Um, like I'm, I'm trying to think of like a, a quarterback that lost in Lubbock. Like who was there? Landry Joey Jones. Landry jo- well, I was thinking that 2009 or the, the one, the yeah. one game Oklahoma just laid an egg defensively was an 9 in Lubbock when they got the doors beat off of them. Like it was like what 41 to 13 or something. And yeah, I think that so. would have been Landry Jones. I think that would have been Landry Jones. Oh yeah, playing, that was Landry. So, so yeah, hopefully Spencer Rattler doesn't dress as one of the the former OU quarterbacks who couldn't win in Lubbock. So, yeah. So, so
1: Joey Halsley and Landry Jones and also Rhett Bomar, I guess, 2005.
0: Hmm. Okay. Probably, all right, that's... probably always
1: good advice never to dress up as Rhett Bomar. Even though I think he was an NFL backup for a number of years. So, I think he got yeah, his he was life on the Giants. Together. Yeah. yeah, oh, yeah he he backed up Eli for a, for a few years.
0: All right, I got to get going. That uh, does it for us today. Hope you all enjoy Halloween. Hopefully, you all enjoy watching OU play and – Of course, we're hoping for an Oklahoma W on Saturday night. We'll be back next week to talk all about this game and whatever else is going on in the world of college football. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.